This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Welcome to Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein and with me we have our pet vet, David Tabret. Hi, Hi, Jane. And what's your topic today? Oh, I'm heated up, Jane. Oh, <laughs> oh. it's no, full it's, of controversy. Yeah, vets have been in the news a little bit and um, oh, you would have seen the leopard seal. That unfortunately um, was quite injured and obviously came ashore to pass away and to not get taken by sharks and so on. But, um, yeah, no, it's been a busy week. So I wanted to talk about an article that was in the paper about vaccinating your pets. Also, I'm going to let you know, why do dogs have wet noses? Oh, look Mm. forward to that. And Danny Boss is here too. Hello, Danny. Wet nose. It's a bit of a cold, wet feeling too, isn't it, Dave? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hi, Jane. Um, We've got events to talk about and speaking to a Rhodesian Ridgeback breeder. And Dr. David Tabret. Hi, Jane. Yeah, there was an article in the uh, paper this week regarding um, vaccinating your pets, and it highlights a very important part of our preventative care. It's uh, important that we do keep our pets vaccinated against certain diseases. Otherwise, those diseases do make a resurgence. Um, I've been lucky. I've never seen distemper, but it does occur. Uh, Hepatitis is quite rare. Parvovirus, unfortunately, quite common. So we do need to be very vigilant. And uh, Daniel, How are all these the sort of diseases you really don't want your pets to get? Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. I mean, parv- um, distemper and hepatitis have no cure and uh, will be fatal. Parvovirus can be treated, but uh, it's qu- quite debilitating. And in very young animals, uh, it can be fatal. And uh, certainly to treat it is very expensive. So vaccination is the better strategy. But it does raise the question of perhaps we're might be vaccinating or overstimulating the immune system of our pets because we are seeing um, increases in autoimmune diseases where the immune system is attacking the body. That's an issue actually I wanted to bring up with you, David, because with Weimaranas, as breeders of Weimaranas, we're very careful about over-vaccinating. Now, there is definitely an importance to vaccinate, but we recommend with all our puppy breeders, for example, don't get a C5, get a C3, and then the other two that form a C5, get them done separately at a later date so you're spacing and spread them out. Them out. Because okay. you can overstimulate the immune system on a Weimarana, and there might be some other breeds that they can happen with and, and you need to be careful with. Yeah. But we prefer to just not um, test that immune system out and space them out and get a better result in that way. Now, saying that, we have had puppies and I've had puppies that I've exported and I've had to even get like C7s and, and so sure. forth and they get different vaccinations yeah. over a short period of time and nothing's happened. It's been very, very good. But you just try and be careful and not overstimulate. Yeah, it's very much a numbers game in that um, the risk of disease versus the risks associated with vaccination and the risks of disease are a lot greater. But um, there's evidence that suggests that some of the diseases that we vaccinate for, the vaccine actually confers immunity for a much longer period than what we previously thought. And so the question was, well, maybe we don't need to be giving them the vaccination so often. There are some, however, where the immunity from the vaccination is short and kennel cough, which is still a very, very common disease, um, is, uh, needs to be vaccinated pretty much every 12 months. There is um, some suggestions that you can go to a three-yearly vaccination schedule for some of the other diseases, but again, it depends on the dog, it depends on your surroundings. For instance, if you had uh, parvovirus in your backyard in the last couple of years, it can still be there, or even in the neighbour's yard. Uh, So you need to be very cautious about 
that you can get a blood test done to actually detect the level of antibodies against those diseases. And that way you could probably get the blood test and say, okay, my dog's got immunity. We're not going to get that vaccine, but I'm still going to get him checked up because, you know, one year of a dog's life is, what, seven years of a person's life and they need to have heartworm prevention and worming and talk to you a bit about flea control and all of those things. Very important on an annual basis that you have that prevention done. But uh, certainly the vaccination schedules come up. There is, uh, at the moment, there's only one, uh, as I understand it, um, there's only one uh, manufacturer or producer of a three-year vaccine in Australia, um, and I could be corrected on that. My understanding is, and uh, because I do emergency work and not regular preventative work, I haven't looked at the cost, but I've been told that the cost of the three-year vaccine is more than three times the cost of an annual vaccine. But the issue we're looking at here is, are not overstimulating the immune system. So maybe that is a strategy people can use. And, yeah, talk to your vet about it. Um, I think the gist of the article in the paper during the week was they missed the whole point about it, that vets are really concerned about disease and prevention. And the, the way the story came across was that annual vaccination is just a way for a vet to rip you off. Um, I think we can say that's really not the case because you're still going to need to have that regular visit anyway. And, um, you know, vets just want to do what's best for your pet. Can I ask at this point, what's a C3, a C5 oh, and a C7? Sorry. Distemper and hepatitis and parvovirus. What does C stand for? Canine. Yeah, because you can get a, a feline vaccine, an F3, but the canine vaccines are distemper, hepatitis and parvo. That's the core three. But then we've also got Bordetella and para-influenza. Uh, Bordetella bronchoseptica is a bacterium similar to... Uh, Bordetella, uh, which causes whooping cough, but it's a different um, species of that. And that those two together can cause um, kennel cough in dogs. Then and that's why you'd get the C5. That's the C5, yes. yeah. And then there's also other vaccines that are coming onto the market for Giardia and coronavirus. Um, the disease risks are a lot less for those things, so probably it's only specific um, dogs that might need that. But... Um, yeah, Danny's point is that, uh, you know, you've got to look at your own animal and make the decision and make it with the vet because they know that they have the scientific knowledge to help you make that judgment. Pet Chat is what you're listening to at the moment on 2NURFM. And Danny, we're going to talk, as we usually do at this time of week, to a breeder. A breeder of Rhodesian Richbacks, Jane. They're a lovely now, dog, aren't they? They are a lovely dog. They're a good-sized dog, you know, substantial. But um, Diana Brennan is a local breeder, and with her first purchase of Rhodesian Richbacks back in 1985, Diana commenced breeding this um, breed, an exotic breed, I'd like to call it, of dog back in 1991. So she's imported and exported Ridgebacks, and to date she has titled 23 champions and two grand champions, and an endurance title as well. She's also a hound judge, judging here in Australia and in Sweden. So welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Danny. Now, Diana, first of all, for uh, what does the dog uh, look like, the Rhodesian Ridgeback? Yeah, the Rhodesian Ridgeback is very similar to the Dalmatian. Um, the, the Dalmatian was used as a blueprint when they drew up the standard for the Ridgebacks. Okay. And they're unique in that they have a characteristic, which is the ridge, where the hair is formed on the back of the dog, growing in the opposite direction to the rest of the coat. And some people liken it to um, a sword or an ice cream cone. Yes. Um, they range in, in colours from a light wheat to a 
a dark red wheaton, which is like a tan colour. Yes. And they traditionally have the black nose, which backs with the dark eyes, or they can have the livers, which is, have the brown nose and the amber eyes. Okay. What is, you mentioned that they've come from the Dalmatian, so what's the history of the breed? Right. Um, originally in South Africa, there was a Hottentop tribe. They had a little native dog which resembled a jackal-style dog. It right. was a bit smaller. The hair stood on end. They were quite courageous little dogs. Yes. But their temperament was ferocious. So when the European settlers arrived in the late 1800s in South Africa, they were quite taken with these little native dogs with their courage, and they used these to crossbreed with their own dogs, like foxhounds and bloodhounds and pointers mm-hmm. and bulldogs, etc., and Great Danes, to develop a dog that had stamina and quite hardy, so they were actually used to extreme temperatures in South Africa. Yes. They bred these dogs to actually hunt lions. Yes, I've heard yeah. that before. So this, um, they developed these dogs, and they used them as packs, that they actually tracked the lion, keep the lion at bay until the hunters came along and either shot them or trapped them. Okay, so they didn't necessarily, uh, like, fight and jump on the lion or have these kind of no, visions? No, no dog would survive a lion. Yeah, they exactly. Just, yeah, yep. they used as packs and that's to, to, tease the do- uh, to, to tease the lion so that the hunters could come along and take a good aim at the, at the lion. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the, the Rhodesian Ridgeback is still a substantial-sized dog. Exactly, yes. They're yeah, a little bit bigger than a Dalmatian. They do have substance about them. Yes. Um, they're a very sizable dog. What are some health problems that might be common to that breed? Well, the Ridgebacks are generally a very hardy and stoic breed with very little health problems. Mm. There is one degenerative um, hereditary defect, which is dermoid sinus. Yes. So if you're looking for a Rhodesian Ridgeback puppy, it's important to go to a registered breeder because yes. they're very experience with how to detect the, the, the sinus. To describe it, it's like a neural tube, which actually opens to the outside but goes to the spine, and it can eventually grow roots around the spine and or kill the puppy. Oh, okay. The dog, as an adult dog. And this also happens in crossbreds, so it's very important, even if you've got a crossbred, to get the vet to check for dormant sinus. But okay. apart from that, they're very hardy, very, very stoic. Now, what about... Family ownership are they are they quite affectionate? Uh, do they do they work well in a family environment? They're an ex- excellent family companion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very tolerant of children. They're a big dog, so basic obedience is essential. Yes, it's also important to socialise a Ridgeback because a, a Ridgeback left in a yard, unsocialised and untrained, can be a bit of a problem. But they are loyal. They are friendly. Um, they can be aloof with strangers if you have people that come to your place. They're not wa- they're a little bit wary, but they usually will come up on their own accord. And as I said, they're great, you know, great family pets. My kids grew up with Ridgebacks, and there was never an issue. They just used the dogs to learn to walk or use as balance, and the kids crawled all over. And when the dogs had had enough, they just picked themselves up, moved somewhere else. But basically, they're too lazy to move anyway. Yeah. <laughs> now, talking about some of the health issues today, the David's topics about vaccination. Is there any issues with over vaccinating on the Ridgebacks? Would you recommend what we said, a canine or C three or C five? No, no problem with that. No, uh, most most breeders, I think, with Ridgebacks uh, vaccinate their dogs annually. Yes. Um, I don't have an issue. I get mine done annually. I have a fourteen and a half year old here at home. And actually, he was done this morning. You know, okay. So they're done annually. 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, hi, Dana. It's David here. Um, now, I've dealt with Ridgebacks quite a bit over the years. I find them fantastic dogs to have, but um, I sort of think that I would advise people to buy a lounge for the Ridgeback, just for the Ridgeback, because... <laughs> Are, are they? We talk about them chasing lions and so on, but I have to tell you, most of them I've seen, they uh, they would be lucky to get off the lounge half the time. They are couch potatoes. They are. Yes, and they do like to be up off the ground. Yes. Yes, yeah. and they will seek the most comfortable spot where they are. You know, whether it's outside, they like the trampoline beds. Whether it's inside, yes, they prefer to be on the lounge or on the bed. On top of you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Now, Dana, you also mentioned that you had an uh, endurance title. Can you uh, let us know what an endurance title means and, and a dog going through endurance trials? Yeah, the endurance titles are, are run by in various different states, and it's open to all breeds, even crossbreeds, as long as they're registered with their state-controlling body. Yes. And it is done at a, a, a sort of a steady pace over 20 kilometres, and people would do it, either get on a bike and just run the dog next to them, or if you're, if you're fit enough, you can actually jog the 20Ks. And it's broken up into about three sections, I think eight kilometres, and then they have a short rest, they're vet checked. Yes. Um, then another six kilometres, vet checked again. Another six kilometres, they've completed the, the 20Ks. They are checked again by the vet, and they do a very basic obedience session just straight yeah. after so they know that they're still coherent and everything and the ridgebacks have no problem yes yeah with the 20ks at all they're an endurance dog yeah they're very athletic yeah. that's right and quite a few um breeders have and ridgeback owners have their et titles well thank you very much for your time appreciate that and uh now we all know a little bit more about ridgebacks thank you diana thank you very much great to talk to you you're listening to two and urfm's pet chat and um, we haven't yes. got round to talking about wet noses now yet, before, David. Before I get to wet noses, gee, this, I tell you, I'm keen about this because it's a fascinating story. The vaccination thing, just to follow up, puppies, uh, you should always get them vaccinated, and Danny was talking about that as well. So make sure you get that series of puppy vaccinations and then a 12-month booster, and then you can talk to the vet about whether they need a three-yearly or annual, etc. Um Okay, wet will, will noses. Will that vary with Sorry? the different kinds of a three-year or, or annual? Will that vary with the different kind of breeds? Um, I guess it's more based on the individual dog rather than the breed so much. Yeah, I think that's probably... There's more variation with your dog compared to the neighbour's dog rather than a variation between breeds because of the um, environment and their immune system and so on. Now, um, that the leopard seal, I did read a, a letter to the editor in the paper about um, wildlife and when they arrive on our beaches and so on. Just a warning to everyone is that sometimes we do get injured wildlife. They can be quite dangerous, and seals, I've dealt with them in a clinic before, they can be nasty. So if you ever do see them, notify um, a beach inspector, a lifeguard, or the police or the RSPCA, and they will contact the appropriate authorities and what happens is on, along our beaches when animals are injured, sometimes they do that and they'll come ashore and it's just that we're there to see it. You know, last weekend I saw a movie called Eight Below and it was about dogs that were stuck in Antarctica. Some huskies and malamutes. Lovely, lovely movie. Great story. And they had a leopard seal in there oh, in that right. movie and it was quite vicious. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> I haven't had it dealt with a leopard seal before. Just um, not quite sure what type of seal it was actually, but he was nasty. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a wild animal for you. You know, they do that. That's They've got to protect themselves. Now, wet noses. Why do dogs have wet noses? You know how dogs have an extremely good sense of smell and their hearing. Their vision's not too bad, but not as good as ours. And if you go right, right, right back, right back until the first frog crawled out of the water and developed, when you're underwater, your sense of smell is what makes you survive because you can't see very far because it doesn't matter how good your vision is the water's murky so you don't need your eyes so you develop an acute sense of hearing uh sorry smell and then uh that is um picking up chemicals in the water so our bodies developed uh, a way of detecting soluble chemicals so when things float through the air they have to be dissolved into moisture for our nerve endings to detect them and so that's why dogs have wet noses so that they can detect uh, all the smells that are out and about. You know what I had about my dog's wet noses? It's you know, you're, you're dressed, ready to go out, especially if I've got my you know really great white pants on. Yeah. And then they come and sniff you, and it's like, hello, oh, Debbie. Mm, yeah. Mm, thank you. <laughs> they have to go in the wash now. <laughs> if you have dogs, you have to have a spare change. It's like kids. You got to carry a spare change of clothes. And the interesting thing is then um, they didn't necessarily develop eyesight that well because uh, when they were, small mammals were developing, dinosaurs were around and they ruled the world during the daytime. So they had to get around at night. And again, vision was less of an issue, more to develop your sense of smell so you could find your food. And so that's why dogs have a much better sense of smell and hearing uh, compared to people. And of course, then we came to dominate the planet and so we developed our vision. And to deal with vision, all the nerve inputs, all the information that our brain gets, you need a very big brain. And that's why we've got the, the biggest and mm-hmm. smartest brains. So why haven't we got wet noses? Well, your tongue can't reach. <laughs> so is that how dogs keep their, ne- their noses wet? They use their tongues? Yes, and there's moisture that comes from uh, their, their nostrils and there's mucus. Um, uh, in our, in our um, sense of smell... It's not as well developed as dogs, and so we don't have wet noses. There you go. So um, I did say last week we were going to talk about guinea pigs. Uh, because of all the other things that have been in the news and so on, we'll leave that for another week. Um, Lots to tell about <laughs> guinea pigs. <laughs> yes. Well, guinea pigs are a, a great little creature, a great pet for people, and there's a lot going on with them, so we'll get to that next week. Now, Danny's probably going to be able to help me out on this one. Winter hazards. Um you said a minute ago, Danny, it wasn't so cold. I agree, it's not so cold today, mm-hmm. but during mm-hmm. the nights, and I've been noticing, you've got to be really careful about uh, having pets inside, um, particularly if you have, say, gas fires or wood fires. They can be very sensitive to carbon monoxide and at l- very low levels that we may or may not detect. And, um, you know, if you have a fluid or an unfluid fire, you do need to be careful. And the species that are most susceptible to this are birds. And, of course, we worry that they're going to get cold, so we bring them in, and they're going to be more susceptible. And you can actually get little fluffy jackets for your bird. So, I, should have, we laugh. I should have asked Danny <laughs> to bring like one in. Sounds like you need more can. like an oxygen chamber for the bird, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> no, no, it's very important that um, winter is, is a time when, mm. you know, they can, they can uh, be injured, if you like, by the... By the things that we, we do to keep ourselves warm. I find in winter with my dogs is that they can lose condition fairly quickly if because they are experiencing the cold a lot more. Um, and their metabolic rate drops. Yes. And, uh, you know, they're not going to eat as much. That's right. 
and so on. And so they. So you have you to know. make sure you keep up the food, and in some cases, the food needs to be a bit more fattier in content, just to keep that. Um, a bit more energy dense. Yeah, and to 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 keep that their condition onto them, so they're not losing as much weight. But then you've got to hold that back off as 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 it gets warmer and the summer approaches. Now, Danny, you've got short haired breeds, so do you put coats on them? Yes, you do. Yep. Are they and they fluffy don't... coats or um, just well, quilted? Look, when I think about my Weimaraners who are short-haired and they feel the cold, I think, oh, for goodness sake, you've come out of uh, Germany. How cold must it be in Germany? You shouldn't be able to feel... This should be summer in the winter. But it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> they're, they're adapted to uh, the lifestyle. <laughs> they, they are. But they get to sleep inside too. So it is a warmer environment inside and they have their coat and uh, keeps them warm. Yeah. So what different kinds of coats are there that you can get for dogs? There's quilted ones, as oh, you yeah, say. Yeah. Can um, you get lamb's wool coats for dogs? Lamb's wool yes, as well. Yes, yes. and um, you can get the infrared ones. I've heard them. That's right. You can what, get those. battery operated? No, they reflect the dog's oh, heat back into them okay. so that they're not losing the heat. Like a space blanket. Yeah, but very good for dogs that have got arthritic conditions because um, they, they're feeling the cold more. They often have less muscle mass. And so they have difficulty staying warm. It works much like the way sunlight, when you get out in the sun and you feel that far infrared heat from the sun. It's not the UV rays we're talking about, just that nice healing heat. That's how these jackets work. They're quite great. Mm. Yeah. Um, Now, another news item. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm taking all the microphone time. You're doing very well, David. (laughs) You've got lots to say. I know. There's so much on, but... uh, there was and a, I haven't started. Oh, we'll, we'll get to you, Danny. Just hang on a sec. <laughs> there was an article in the paper yesterday that was written by Noel Whitaker in the financial section. His dog ate a piece of wire and he had to take it to the emergency vets. I think he lives in Brisbane or somewhere. Anyway, um, and the poor dog needed surgery. They were hoping it would pass through, but of course, you know, wire is pretty dangerous. And um, set him back uh, probably a three thousand dollars or something. Wow! And uh, he brought up the topic of pet insurance and saying, you know, well, for six dollars a week, he could have had eighty percent of that cost covered. And it's worthwhile thinking about looking at your situation because, um, look, everything as we know, costs do go up over time, and medical uh, expenses, uh, whether it's human or veterinary, are always going to go up. There's a whole heap of um, options out there for people. Talk to your vet because um, they'll have a list of all the different pet insurance. And it was just really interesting to see that brought up as a topic from a financial planner, really. Yes. But, <laughs> Pets get into every way. Very hard to plan that. for those emergencies. <laughs> yeah. And you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat with David Tabret and Danny Boss and me, Jane Klein. It's 16 to 1. And... Uh, we, of course, are very happy to take your calls. If you've got a question you'd like to put to David Tabret, give us a call, 49216216, a vet-type call. And Danny, in the meantime, lots of pet events happening. There is quite a few, actually. First of all, I'd like to mention that if you live in the Cessnock City Council area and your pet is not microchipped, tomorrow is your day. Because it's free microchipping at the Curry Curry Animal Shelter by the Cessnock City Council. So I'd like to plug that in. It's off Mitchell Street. And the contact phone number for the council ranges is 499 If you are interested in, in being in 
contact with them and ask them any details of the event. But it is happening from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And as a lot of other doggy shows and, and events that happen, there's all sorts of doggy types of competitions and prizes, Jane. There are cats there too, aren't there? I think so. Cats, most kinds of animals. Companion animals. Um, I, would you need to be a resident of the Cessnock area? Yes. To, um, that is, to qualify for that's the, right. the free microchip. Yep, so you might have to bring a rates notice along something along those lines to prove that you are in the area. The rangers could say. Mm. So some of these competitions, Danny, they sound just incredible. The best dressed dog or cat. Very common in these kind of events. So put your best gear on. Um, what, your best and your white coat? pants. <laughs> <laughs> white pants. So that you look the thing. There is a, a pet owner lookalike competition. Too. Oh, they're fantastic fun. Are they? Yes, they are. And you do get some very good similarities. Have you ever won that, Danny? <laughs> I think I've got a bit too much weight to match a Weimaraner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, what about what sort of tricks are people likely to come up with in the best trick competition? Look, you've got there's a lot of the times there's people that have done tricks in terms of dancing with their dogs or throwing and doing some fetch activities, getting them on their rear legs to 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 stand up. I went to um, I remember the RSPCA held one a couple of years ago. There was a dog that walked on its front legs. Yes. Walking yeah, walking on its back legs, you see that a bit. But walking on the front legs That's, that's a pretty good trick. Yeah. Would that be hard for them to do? It would. Oh yeah, it? yeah. Yeah, only a little dog can do that. Yeah. Now, the, the other one that um, I won't say it takes my fancy is the doggy poo relay, relay oh, yes. races. Now, one might think that would be quite messy and smelly, but it actually it's not because it is fake poo. Oh. <laughs> is that real training for real life? <laughs> yes, it is. So Get it's you into a, the habit. a relay race and yeah. you have a number of dogs in a team, presumably? No, it actually doesn't involve the dogs. Ah. Yeah, you have to go and collect the poo. The dog never collects the poo. Come on, Jane. <laughs> it's not the dog most You don't own a dog, do you, Jane? <laughs> well. <laughs> and, and for those who want to attend even more events, actually, there's one in Sydney in Manly. It's known as the Manly Council Dogs Day Out. And that's another, it's a very, being in Sydney, it's a very big doggy event. It will be held at Clontarf uh, Reserve on Sunday, August the 9th from 10.30 to 2.30. And you might know, the MC, which you might know, is Dr. Katrina Warren, who's on Channel 7's Harry's Practice. So she'll be there doing the MCing. Plus, you can also get to meet her. What I've found, found to be excellent at this event in Manly is that they will have what's called um, and ask the S expert tent where they're going to have uh, vets and they'll also have animal behaviourists. So you can go and talk to these people free of charge and just get some advice in terms of what, how it is with certain issues you might have with your pet. So that's a great idea. And as always, these events that are held are always teaching us about responsible ownership of, of pets. And whereabouts in Manly is that, do you know? It's at the Clontarf Reserve. Oh, so it's not quite in Manly. Yeah. Yes, so down near the spit. And uh, there'll be tricks, competitions, the Jack Russell Racing. The Visitor Information Centre phone number is double nine seven six one four three zero. if you want to get any more, any more uh, information about the event. Oh, Danny, what is that? What okay. have you got? <laughs> what have you got there? This, this is something oh. that's orange. Oh, right, yes. And uh, 
Yes, I know what you're thinking, David. Yes. But this is for use on dogs. It's right. a dog collar. Right. But it's a new style of dog collar. It's very a bit high space tech, age, isn't looking. it? Yeah. Very space age looking. Now it's called Cinch It, being developed in America, and Cinch It because it's so easy. Now. You know when you've got your normal type of collar with your buckle and you're trying to put it on the dog oh, yeah, and the and dog's, the dog's restless yeah, yeah. and like you're trying to get it night hole and it's, oh no, it's still too loose, I've got to tighten it. <coughs> it's making me tired thinking and talking about it. Yes. This cuts away with all that kind of fuss because the collar just slides into the top of, the, the collar length there just slides into the top mechanism here. Oh, and, and it's that. like a cable tie. Yeah. So, it, but hang on, most cable ties you can't undo. Well, this has a locking mechanism, so there's the button where you lock it, and I'm actually stretching that quite tight. Yes. It's not coming off. Yep. And that's locked in position. To unlock it, just press that button and press this button, and it comes loose. Now, my dog always gets so excited because when I put a collar on her, that means we're going for a walk. That's right. And she runs around and does backflips and everything, and... And uh, I reckon that'd be a great idea. It is. But really, really good. And does I it come think, in Jane, other what sizes? do you reckon? Should we check it and test it out on Dave's no, can can Hold on to it there. <laughs> does it come in other sizes? That's all I want to know. Because yes, that's a bit big, that one. Yeah, there's there's medium and large size, and they come in uh, different colours. Right. Being your orange, blue, black, red, uh, green. Uh, oh, and the other great thing about it is the material, the plastic material it is made out of, uh, prevents any bacteria accumulation so it doesn't smell. Under the, under the collar. Mm. Oh, that's You'll pretty clever. you never clear. have to wash it. I think it's amazing how modern technology means you can build that kind of deodorant effect, for want of a better word, into materials. It is, isn't it? And Are you talking healthier? like the, um, the astronaut who came back from space and he wore the same pair of underpants for the whole time? For you a can month. do that now, yes. And they have an antibacterial built into the underwear. And six months, oh, I'm sure, six months, Lord. and uh, they're still all right and still uh, healthy. Now, Danny, have you got your ticket for the Blue Moon Dinner Dance? Not as yet. Oh. I've still got another so, week or so, haven't I? Oh, yeah, no, August yeah, okay. 22nd. Right. August 22nd. Looking forward to that. And I notice you're both in blue today, so very well done, thinking Blue Moon already. <laughs> and and, and jeans. Jeans for Jeans Day. Oh, you've got Jeans for Jeans Day, yes, not for the dinner dance. (laughs) (laughs) When you're listening to Pet Chat, it's seven to one, and let's see if we can work out Neville's question, or rather the answer to Neville's question. Hello, Neville. Hello, how are you? Hi, Neville. How can we we help you? Um, I have a Jack Russell. He's um, seven years old. Right. And recently he seemed to lost his his zing. He would chase a ball until your arm fell off and jump over things and all the rest of it. And he just got quieter and quieter. And we took him to the vet and they gave him a sort of a feeling examination and said they thought he might have had a um, a prolapse, prolapse disc in his back. Oh, okay. And he had a temperature and they said that the disc might have been infected. We put him on a regime of um, medication and yep. uh, the, the last lot of stuff we got for him was um, some cortisone. Yep. But with the cortisone, he started to lose control of his bladder. He would pee in places that he never did. And yeah. So we took him back and they cut, cut the, the dose back. You know when a dog shakes itself, so when it's wet and they shake themselves all over, yep. or they get up and shake themselves, he'd only sort of shake himself to his head and he's quite reluctant still to jump up on a chair with you. Or, right, uh, yes. And I just wondered whether... Is there something else that could be done for him or will it get slowly get better itself? He doesn't seem to have a temperature anymore. Sure. 
Sure. So how long has this been going for? Oh, it'd be a good month or more. Okay, yeah. Um, certainly, uh, if he's you know reluctant to move around and he's he's resistant to movement, then that could indicate some pain, um, which does fit with what your vet's been telling you. Yep. And uh, in some dogs, they can have persistent but sl- you know slow recovery. If there's neurological involvement, like there's problems with the nerves themselves, and the vets can check for that, then uh, some of those dogs are only going to get better with surgery. But there's a bit of a payoff between, you know, there's like a, say, a 60% recovery with medicine or a 90% recovery with surgery. So it really depends where he is on the scale and whether there's nerve involvement. The medications can help. Um, but certainly time and rest is, is the biggest advantage. But if he starts scuffing his feet or getting a bit wobbly in the back end and things like that, or still in pain, then certainly take him back because uh, they might need to either do some x-rays or possibly refer him for a CT scan to be done um, to find out exactly where the problem is. Right. Yeah. So it might take time, but if he's showing those symptoms, I'd say get him back for another checkup. So what sort of time frame would it be? Like, uh, is it months or...? Oh, yeah, in some dogs it'll take that. It'll take months. And Um, would his breed be sort of prone to that sort of thing or...? Not necessarily, I wouldn't say. I mean, they're a fairly, uh, you know, hardy breed, so... Yeah, he's a pretty robust little bloke. yeah. Yeah. But they're very energetic dogs, and when they're running around and they flex their back mm. and jumping, that can sometimes trigger that. And so um, pain is the biggest indicator of a problem, and then if there's nerve involvement. We've just got time for one more call, and that's Wayne. Hello, Wayne. Hello. Hello, hello Wayne. Hello. Hello, hi, you've got hi, a question? Wayne. Would yeah, I've got a Labrador. Yep. She was inherited... Uh, my wife inherited it because the sister passed away, so we got we got her. She's only a couple of years old. Yep. And um, she ended up getting this really crook leg. She used to she sits sort of sideways all the time and has the left leg poking out the rear leg. Right. And. Um, yep. Have you had that checked out yet, Wayne? Yeah, we we took it we took it to the vet, and yep. he said that she needed a, re, a knee reconstruction. So we got that done. Right. And it was six weeks sitting around doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Except going out to the toilet and that sort of thing. Yep. And she come good, but every now and again she plays with her toys. She doesn't doesn't run around that much, but she gets excited, you know. Yes. uh, It keeps coming back. Yeah. I was just wondering if if that is the problem or is there another way of looking after and getting it it fixed? Oftentimes we see this, there's two things I would think uh, be concerned about, certainly hips, but if the knees were a problem, I'd be worried about that she's had cruciate surgery, which sounds like what's happened, uh, that her cruciate uh, ligament might have been injured. Now, what happens with big dogs is that if you have the surgery done, is it will certainly delay the onset of um, arthritis and its progression, however, it cannot stop it because from the moment the ligament is injured, the process of onset of degenerative arthritis occurs. And what we tend to recommend with those dogs is that they have limited but regular exercise, um, swimming's very good, and they often do need uh, medication, including perhaps some supplements like glucosamine, and you can get special arthritis food supplements that help their joints. So it's not an uncommon thing to see with dogs, but there are some things that can be done 
with weight control, exercise and a food supplement and that will often help uh, slow down the development of arthritis and make sure that she can exercise you know, relatively pain-free. So give that a go. The vet um, that you've seen can certainly set you up with those treatments and you can just continue to buy a supply of the food supplement over, the, over time. That's a good right. question. Yeah. Thank you for your call, Wayne. And that really brings us to the end of uh, Pet Chat today. Thank you, David Tabret. That's all right, Jane. And thank you, Danny Boss. Goodbye, Jane. And we'll be back next Friday after the midday news.